You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. So on the show today, I want to welcome Tina Strawn. She has been a fitness professional for the past 14 years, where she held several local, regional, and corporate titles and has taught hundreds of people each week in the gym as a yoga teacher and cycle and group fitness instructor. But in 2018, Tina found herself at the intersection of her social and racial justice activism and her fitness teaching. So she created Satya Yoga Trips, where she leads three-day anti-racism yoga trips to the lynching memorial and the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, where participants use the philosophy and the practice of yoga as tools to dismantle racism. Tina is an anti-racism advocate as both a student and a facilitator. Having recently relocated with her wife, from Atlanta to Dallas-Fort Worth area, Tina now focuses on her anti-racism work full-time, which includes the anti-racism yoga trips to Montgomery, as well as speaking engagements, leading private events, and soon she will be launching a series of anti-racism workshops and online webinars. Welcome to the show, Tina. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. I'm excited as well. So tell us a little about you. So I've been mm-hmm. a fitness instructor for about 14 years. Mm-hmm. And then I, and that, that, that includes teaching a variety of group fitness classes. So everything from a kickboxing class to aqua aerobics to cycle and Pilates and just a variety of different formats. And I would eventually move into a management position that management position would eventually lead into some regional roles and titles and some corporate roles and having some corporate responsibilities as well for large um, national fitness organizations. And that's where I would spend many years. And the demographic of those spaces that I was in, the demographics of the fitness communities that I was a part of, including the the gyms where I worked and the teams that I managed and supported, affluent and predominantly white. Okay. So so my fitness life was everything to me. I was able to grow and thrive in my career, which um, of course resulted in being well paid, well compensated. And I, I had the opportunity to move from, um, you know, place to place um, with my roles. So moved from the Dallas-Fort Worth area to Houston, then from Houston back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where I would manage the, the Texas market and the Oklahoma market, and then even moving from Texas to Atlanta and being responsible for the Georgia and Alabama market. And it was in Atlanta where everything shifted for me. Once we moved to the Atlanta area, and I was the regional manager for group fitness, yoga, and cycle there. Um, because my region encompassed several different cities and, and another state as well, I had the freedom to move wherever we wanted since I was going to kind of be mobile 
mobile. And I chose where to live based on the internet and based on, you know, goodschools.com and um, what that really meant and what I didn't understand at the time. But what I know now is wow. I, I, I definitely adopted the belief that the good schools are the rich white schools. Mm -hmm. So with that, moved my family to a suburb of Atlanta um, into one of the, I'm air quoting, I know you can't see me, best schools in the state, um, predominantly white, predominantly in an affluent neighborhood. And maybe 7% of the students were African-American. None of the teachers were African-American. Wow. Uh, you could, you know, the, the staff, the makeup of the staff was the majority of the janitorial staff was was black the majority of the cafeteria staff was black the majority of the bus drivers were black and yet there were no black teachers or administrators so i started to i think see my reality a little differently for the first time and something that shifted everything for me or or, or the events that shifted everything for me were july 2016 up until that moment I had immersed myself in my career and worked tremendously hard to climb the corporate ladder. But to do so in a predominantly white environment required me to be acceptable to all of the white people and to make all of the white people around me comfortable above and below me and around me um, in terms of I, I, I am a, as a fitness professional, it's my job to motivate people and inspire people to be positive. It, it's basically like being a, a professional cheerleader every single day. Day, right. Uh, my, yeah. my role was to get on a stage, put on a microphone. Uh, I would teach a couple of classes a day. So for anywhere from one to three hours a day, you know, an average of 30 to 40 people would spend an hour with me and I would motivate and encourage them to, you know, live healthier lives and, and be healthier from a physical perspective. Mm -hmm. And that required me to assimilate and that required me to, you know, present myself in a way that I was acceptable, right? And these are not things, of course, that I was conscious of at the time. But what I realize now is that that allowed me to be able to continue to get promoted up um, to where we had created this nice life for ourselves in what I consider to be kind of a white bubble in the sense that I, of course, knew that I was black. However, I didn't want the I didn't want to have to come to terms with and deal with the tremendous amount of injustice and grief that was happening around me in the black community in this country. Mm -hmm. So for, to some degree, I was able to and chose to remove myself and not allow myself to be affected by what I knew was happening with the black community. I remember feeling, I remember I, there was a moment for me where I was making the most money I've ever made. And things were seemingly fine. I was doing very well at my job. Um, you know, my kids were in the one of the best schools in the state of Georgia. But I remember having this feeling of I feel very disconnected from and out of touch with the black community. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't know what to do with those thoughts and feelings. I knew that I was absorbed fully and completely in my career. It was almost as though there was not time for me to dig into it. And I didn't give myself that time to see what was under and below the surface until July of 2016, where I accidentally saw Philando Castile being killed by the officer in Minnesota and Alton Sterling being killed by the officers in Louisiana. And I say accidentally because I had really 
intentionally gone to great lengths to not subject myself to watching these videos that were starting to come out. I, I intentionally didn't want to follow too closely what was happening with the Trayvon Martin case because I didn't want to be sad and I didn't want to really acknowledge the horrors uh, of what was still happening in this nation and the way that Black people were still being treated. But upon seeing the videos of those men being killed, I was broken. Mm -hmm. I was broken and I didn't know what to do with my grief. Uh, I felt a lot of shame. I felt a sense of despair. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that would shift everything in me. And of course, what would then happen a few months later is that Donald Trump would become president. And so now I just want to say, you know, F the world. And, you know, it, it just, it just all needs to, we just got to end this, you know, this, there, yeah. there's just no hope. It, it was definitely the feeling. So I would then go into the new year. So now we're January, 2017 and the women's March is happening. And so that was my first taste of any type of uh, participation politically, so to speak. Right. Of course, the Women's March, not political, but then very political at the same time, just in terms of women coming together and people coming together to stand against this president and this hateful administration. And, and then just everything that, that, that spurred after that. Right. But for me, those were significant moments that would start to light a fire under me. And I would then decide that I want to get involved and I want to do something and I want to be a part of affecting change, which would lead me into starting to do some work on some political campaigns. So that, that was kind of where my, my activism and my uh, desire to be involved socially and politically began. Wow. That is a powerful story, too, because, you know, it's so difficult. So many people get stuck in the shame and in the grief. And for you, you took that next step and started getting involved. What would you say encouraged you the most on your journey toward getting involved and actually doing something? I always go back to seeing the videos of Philando and Alton and how that shook me to my core. And then fast forward to when we woke up the night after election night to find out that Donald Trump is our new president and I was physically ill. And I know many people share the same feeling of, I mean, for me, I didn't go to work the next day. And so I will now kind of bring my yoga practice into this. And the fact that despite the internal grief I was experiencing, I was expected to go into all of these white spaces. I was expected to go into my job and act like everything is normal and act like everything is fine. And everything in me was screaming and crying. And the quieter I was, the more I was dying inside. Mm -hmm. So the piece of yoga that has changed everything for me has been my meditation practice, where coming to stillness and coming to my breath to what I feel is where I truly, we truly experience ourselves when we, when we come to stillness and silence. And 
doing that self-reflection of what matters, mm-hmm. what will last, what do I feel called to? What is my heart saying to me? Am I listening to my heart? Am I following my joy? Is what I am currently doing bringing me joy? Mm-hmm. Am I being the light? And am I being the change, especially in these yoga spaces, in these spaces where we're supposed to be very, very spiritual? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of terminology around, you know, love and light. Right. And for me, I felt like it was hollow yeah. to say those things. And then as a teacher, I felt like it was irresponsible of me um, and hypocritical of me to go into um, the yoga space, into the yoga studio and guide people through a practice that is designed to connect them mind and body. Um, It's designed for us to use the mats as mirrors to reflect deeper into who we are and to connect with all of humanity and to connect with our ability to breathe fully, uh, our ability to take up space completely and fully. But knowing that as a black and queer woman, I am not safe in all the spaces that I walk into. And I do not feel comfortable walking into um, many of the spaces where I was not only working, but responsible for leading uh, and in charge. And I just felt like I was not able to be fully authentic. Mm -hmm. If I know I am, I, I just witnessed another black man being killed by police officers, or I just heard that, again, uh, an officer who killed an unarmed Black person is not going to be held accountable for it. I have to somehow stuff down my feelings and my emotions about my rage and my horror um, and my tremendous devastation. And I have to go into these spaces and put on a happy face right? and act like everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there just came a time where I, I just couldn't be silent anymore. And I was, the more that I was silent, the more that I grew frustrated with myself. And it came to a point where as I was in the spaces where I was becoming active and in these spaces where I wanted to and believed change was going to be made if we could elect officials with a, a progressive and, and a, or a liberal or a, an intention on um, focusing on um, social justice, racial justice. If we could simply get these people elected, then we can change things. But I realized that so much of what my career um, and who I was was wrapped in my job. And I had a platform and I had a voice. Mm. And I felt that every time I was not using my voice to speak truth, uh, part of me was dying inside. And so there just came a time when the me having a microphone and having the privilege of being able to go into spaces and, and speak to people inspire them to be better, motivate them to live their best lives, that could no longer be just about losing weight, lowering their blood pressure, you know, it, it, gaining muscle, right? Right. It had to be deeper. It had to be more. Um, and and that's, that's really when things started to shift for me is when I realized that what is not important to me or what is most important to me is beyond the physical. Mm-hmm. And I no longer felt um, satisfied and I no longer felt fulfilled simply focusing on the physical aspects of life and of our bodies. I wanted to dig deeper and I wanted to do some, some uncomfortable work so that people could see that we all have the ability to actually be the light, um, as opposed to just the lip service of, you know, we want to go to these very pretty air quotes, safe spaces where we're not going to have, where we could actually 
um, close our eyes to what's happening around us, you know, and just be concerned with being in our happy place while those around us are, are suffering and, and not caring about our, our, our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. Um, and it just felt empty and meaningless if I wasn't going to truly speak out against injustice. Well, and I would say particularly within a spiritual practice like this, right? Because you feel like there's a connection and an encouragement to connect mind, body, spirit. And when you check in on all of those levels and you see that something is off, that is a great teaching moment, right? So I'm curious, when did you decide you were going to start these yoga trips? Did you even imagine that you would be where you are today back when you first started wrestling through all of these things? I had no idea where my path was taking me, but I knew something big was about to happen. And I think it it happened. It started to happen in 2018 when I really was, I, I was teaching a tremendous amount of classes. At this point, I had quit my corporate jobs and decided to focus full time on my passion and what I love, which is just teaching classes. So I was teaching a tremendous number of cycle classes in particular and yoga classes. Uh, those were the two primary formats that I was teaching in a couple of different studios in the suburbs of Atlanta. But at the same time, we were approaching midterm elections. And so I was volunteering for a local campaign. There was a, a local black woman who was running for a house district seat in the city where I lived. And so I was, I, I helped on her campaign. I volunteered um, for Stacey Abrams for governor of Georgia. And my passion inside of those projects was voter registration, mm. um, which of course, if anyone knows anything about Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight Georgia, Georgia. Um, and, and her focus has been on getting people registered to vote. And that was actually what lost her the election that she rightfully won is that um, the current governor, who was also the secretary of state at the time, was successful in suppressing the votes of the marginalized, right? So, mm -hmm. but being a part of all that, for me, and this is where I say my activism began to bleed into my teaching. Mm. And my teaching began to bleed into my activism because I started to host voter registration drives. Mm -hmm. And because I taught so many classes and worked so much, I decided that I should take these voter registration drives to where I was going to be into these spaces. So I went to the studio owners who I taught for and I asked if I could host voter registration drives and all of them allowed me to. And even though voter registration drives are nonpartisan, and everyone understands who is concerned with registering all voters and who is not in terms of political parties, right? So it gave me a unique opportunity to be very visible and use my voice in settings and in spaces where talking about registering people to vote and using our voice is something that was really outside of the realm of fitness. Mm -hmm. So those were the types of things I was involved in. And it really came down to a time where I was starting to ask myself, what is my purpose? So as I was spending time in meditation and as I was living my, my, my yoga practice and, and really just seeking and searching, I always say that I believe the idea of Satya Yoga trips isn't something that I just came up with. I believe it was given to me. Mm -hmm. And from that moment where 
it basically became, okay, yoga is this transformative practice with this spiritual foundation. And I believe that people want to have courageous conversations. They just don't know how. Right. But I know that with yoga, it can be a tool to facilitate some of these conversations. At some point, I read the book, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Yeah. And that book made such a tremendous impact on me in terms of Brian Stevenson's work in the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. the cases that he's been able to take um, before the, the, the Supreme Court. All of the people, and particularly Black people, particularly poor people, and particularly children who were sentenced to life in prison or given the death penalty, Mm -hmm. and how so many of these trials that happened were illegal and were wrong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, and, And recognizing that this is what's happening right now. Um, that led me to look deeper into Brian Stevenson's work, which of course exposed me to the Equal Justice Initiative, which then brought me to hearing about the lynching memorial. And as soon as I heard about the lynching memorial, something inside me kind of just said yes. And it's, and I felt I had to go there. And as I began to study more and read more about the work of the EJI, and understand that there is no space that exists where we can pay tribute to and respect and honor those who have lost their lives, the hundreds and thousands of African Americans in this country um, due to racial terror and racial violence and white supremacy. There's no place where we can go and bear witness to it the way that we can at the lynching memorial and at the Legacy Museum. Yeah. So when I discovered that project opened in April of 2018. And then I would realize that perhaps yoga and the practice and philosophy of yoga would be a great way to facilitate some of these conversations and facilitate some of this reflection and, and, and truth and opportunities for growth. The connection for me was, was just there and again, given to me. Yeah. So that's, that's how it started. That's amazing. So what was your expectation when you started this? How many people did you think you would have on a trip? How often did you expect to do it? Who did you target market for this? How did people hear about it? I'll go back and just mention that because of my corporate management experience, I have facilitated conferences and conventions. I was a um, operations manager for a fitness convention series for a while. So I already have a background in putting together these types of things. So that was the easy part. Uh, All I knew is that I go and I teach classes and I suspect, and I not only suspect, I had conversations with some people who were interested in kind of learning more about what they can do, right? Um, Brian Stevenson said on the cover of Newsweek magazine in December of 2018, the cover says, yes, America is racist. Now what? Yeah. And because I had started to use my voice the way that I was in my fitness environments, people were asking me questions and kind of this, you know, what can I do? I want to know more, right? And so it was very natural for me to say, okay, well, I'm just going to put this together. We're going to do some yoga and we're going to go to the lynching memorial and experience it together. So as that started to come together for me, I made it a point to not overthink it Mm -hmm. and not get too much in my head. And so I really said, 
said, you know what, I'm going to create this and I'm going to put it out to the people that I know and we're going to see what happens. Yeah. But in putting it out, I was very intentional with not wanting to do it just one time and see how it goes. Okay. Because what I didn't want to have happen is I didn't want people to say to me, oh, I would have loved to have gone on you, gone with you on that trip, but we are going to be out of town that weekend. Darn, sorry. I hate that I missed it. Right. (laughs) I wanted to then be able to respond by saying, no worries. There's five more trips throughout the year that you can choose from. I love that. You're like, I've got you covered. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I, I wanted to go, I went into it wanting to remove obstacles and barriers, right? Mm-hmm. So wanted to make it something that if people had a, a Monday through Friday, nine to five job, it's something that they could get to Montgomery on Friday night, and then they could be home by Sunday night and ready for work on Monday, right? So I I basically considered these things when I when I put it together. So when I started, I simply reached out to people that I knew and I sent an email to some friends and colleagues. So both both some personal and professional connections that I had. And it turns out that there were about 40 people and they turns out that there were about 20 black women and about 20 white women. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started. And as a result of sending out that initial email to those 40 women, five white women responded and signed up for the first trip, which would happen in December of 2018. Mm -hmm. So from there, we have completed four trips and there've been about 17 people that have been on the four trips. Wow! And there is one more trip that is coming up in October um, that I have a few people that are signed up for. And actually I did have three other trips scheduled. I had one in August scheduled and then I had two in October scheduled, but just based on what I have learned now through doing the trips, mm-hmm. uh, I've decided to just have one more um, for white people who desire to be allies and who want to be educated about racism and who are interested in doing less harm and being good ancestors. So there is one that is for them, which is coming up October 11th through 13th. Okay. And then the last one that I'll do this year is going to be two weeks from them. So the end of October, but that one I'm reserving just for black women That's awesome. to go and have a, a safe space where we can go and experience the museum and the memorial um, together. Mm-hmm. So tell me what preparation looks like in general for your yoga trips. What do you have people do ahead of time to prepare? How do you walk them through this process? What does it look like when you're there? I'm curious about how that all works. Absolutely. It's interesting because I was speaking to um, a brand company, a company that wanted to do some branding work for me. And I was trying to get them to understand that this is not for everyone because they are thinking of, okay, how big can we go? Right. Let's, let's put all this money into you know marketing and advertising and promotion. And, and I said, I really don't want to do that because this is not for everybody. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's for a very small group of people. So when someone wants to be a part of my trip, um, and, and first of all, I have at this point done no marketing and I've done no advertising in terms of dollars spent. There's been no paid advertisements. It's been simply people who know me and have followed me because of my involvement in fitness, in the fitness world. 
Um, so people who have been following me and kind of watching my path over the past several months and maybe a couple of years um, and know that this is something that I'm doing and also just word of mouth. So really, I, I created this expecting that people who have taken my classes, I expected my students who have already know me to a certain extent and in a certain way, who already feel comfortable with me, who feel safe with me and who trust me would want to go on this journey with me. That has not at all been who who has responded to this. It has been people that I've met in the activism spaces, which is fine and it's wonderful and awesome. I, it just was not what I expected. So as people have signed up, what they will receive is their soul assignments, their soul work is what I call it, where basically I need them to understand that this weekend, there is a lot of preparation that is required for them to maximize their experience. Mm -hmm. For them to be able to get the most out of what we are going to talk about and reflect upon and go over and cover and dig deep into and dive into, they will be best served if they start laying the foundation and the groundwork, which many of them come into the space knowing that they need to do that. But I give them some very specific assignments. So for example, they need to read Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. Mm -hmm. Um, I require them and I say require, that's a loose term. You know, I don't, you know, check on them. I simply strongly encourage them to, for them to watch, um, the documentary on Netflix, Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary. I encourage them to listen to the Seeing White podcast by Seen on Radio. And I encourage them to download and work through Layla Saad's Me and White Supremacy workbook, which now, because it has been so tremendously successful and impactful, is not even available as a free download anymore like it was um, for my previous trips. Now it is being, uh, it's becoming a book that will be released, I think in January, January, February of 2020. Yeah, I think February, um, I heard. Is it February? Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> that's not available anymore. However, um, you know, strongly suggest and recommend that they pre-order that book as well and prepare to to do that work. Um, and so that sets the stage really in terms of I want to do two things. One, I want them to begin to understand that this journey of anti-racism work is ongoing and it is something they have to take responsibility of themselves. This weekend is by no means a means to an end. It is not a box that they get to check um, on their anti-racism report card. There's no certificate they receive at the end of it. It. I wanted to impress upon them that there is work that you have to do. You can't just pay your money and show up somewhere and then put it behind you and move on with your life. Mm-hmm. This is something that is a daily walk. It is a daily journey. So that is the first thing I want to impress upon them. But the second thing that I do is I hopefully, um, if you listen, that that's a lot of work, really, you know, as far as read this yes. book, watch this documentary series, listen to this 16 episode podcast series, do this 21 day, you know, workbook. I intentionally give what I hope is too much work so that they aren't able to do it all mm-hmm. because I want to leave them again emphasizing that this is work that you're never going to finish. It's never going to be over. There's never going to be a time 
where you can say, okay, I read all the books, I did all the things, and now I have arrived as this perfect ally and I can go around and tell everybody what is racism, what isn't. And it was important to me that it came across as our yoga practice comes across. It is this lifelong journey that never ends. And we have a responsibility if we choose to come to our mats every day, to look around us every day and notice the ways that we are either upholding racism or we are tearing it down. And it's it's just been important to me that that is the message that comes across when they're getting ready to, to join us on the trip. How much time do people typically have to prepare between when they sign up and when you leave? That, that really depends on when they sign okay. up. So I, I had someone sign up for the October 2019 trip back in January, okay. right? So she has 10 months, but it really just depends on when people sign up in reference to when the trip is that they're going to go on. Yeah. And I'm so curious about the demographic, the people who choose to go on this trip. Do you find that there is any kind of similarity between them? You know, are they people who are completely fresh and new to this whole concept of anti-racism or are they people who have typically done a bit of the work already? Who is attracted to this? So it's been a little bit of both. It's it's maybe been even half and half. Wow. Uh, half of the participants that have come are very new to activism spaces, and they're new to the conversation about racism in terms of their intention in participating Ooh. in the conversation. Yeah. And they're new in their awareness of, huh, our president sure says a lot of racist shit. Right. Like, maybe I should figure out why, you know, or, huh, why is everybody acting like these, you know, black NFL players are against the flag and the anthem and the military. That's not what it's about. But I really want to have a more informed way to have these conversations about what the fight is for and why did Colin Kaepernick um, kneel in the first place, right? right? So I would say half of these participants are new mm -hmm. and entering into spaces, noticing some harm being done, their awareness of racism being prevalent today, right now in society, and it's causing them to ask some questions and they're ready to get some answers and they're ready to learn and listen. So they come very open. Wow. So the other half are people that have been in activism spaces. And let me also preface this by saying we are talking about white people so far that have, right. that have come on these trips and that it's open to, mm -hmm. right? So they, the, this other half are white people who consider themselves very active, very progressive, um, typically Democrat, right? Typically, definitely against this president and his administration. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, have knowledge and awareness about anti-racism, but perhaps they are looking to go deeper. Uh, perhaps they found themselves in situations where they have probably been called out, mm -hmm. um, most likely online, or they have been a part of something that they they felt uncomfortable, or they are listening to um, Black people in the spaces and the circles of, again, this this political work, and they are wanting to do better. 
and just wanting some more tools and, and more resources. And so again, okay. you know, that that's what, what brings yeah, them here. Yeah. So I'm so fascinated by this, right? Because I've been doing this work heavily. And in doing this, the thing that I find so challenging are white people, right? And so, so <laughs> yes. I'm listening to you talk about the different people who come to these trips and you guys are doing deep, deep work. And I'm just so curious to know, like, have you hit roadblocks? Some of the participants that have gone on the Satya Yoga trips with me are no longer speaking to me or refuse to interact with me. And really, absolutely. That's a result of a personal interaction that we had afterwards. So I think conceptually, White people like the idea of learning the information, right? It is abstract right now. It's outside of them. And they acknowledge and recognize that this is an area that they are not knowledgeable of. So they Mm -hmm. are interested in coming and learning some, some key phrases. They want to learn the terminology. And, and I'm saying this could very well come from, and I believe in many cases comes from a very good place of mm-hmm. wanting to learn how to engage in the anti-racism space and and do less harm. And when you learn strategies and, and you learn all of these things, now it's a matter of trusting yourself to go out into the world and use what you've learned, right? right. So what's going to happen, and this is something that we say all of the time in anti-racism work, is you are going to mess up. You are going to make a mistake and someone's going to call you out or call you in on it. And now you have the opportunity to do that sitting with it. You have the opportunity to choose. Are you going to lean into this or are you going to run in the other direction? You can choose how you're going to react. Um, Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, there is a quote and he was a, a Jewish psychologist who was in concentration camps um, as a young man. And in there's a line in the book where he says that there is a space between stimuli and response. And that space is where our freedom lies. So mm-hmm. basically, it's a matter of when you are confronted with the realization that you made a mistake, you you caused harm unintentionally, you have to make a decision in that moment, how you will react. Will you sit with it or will you respond in a way that is a privileged response where you run the other direction? And so I have had a couple of white people who have been on this trip and on this journey with me who Mm -hmm. then leave the trip. And then I, we have some type of personal interaction and I bring to their attention that this is harmful. You are behaving in a way that is harmful to me as a black woman. And here is why. And if you go mm-hmm. back and refer to this resource that we talked about on the trip, you know, I, I, I kind of explain it, right? Or at least I start to, I don't go into it very deeply, but the reaction or the response has been just shut down, just not responding yeah. to my, my, my reaching out to them to have a conversation, um, mm-hmm. unfriending me on Facebook. And, you know, I, I've, gone back and forth about, do I continue to chase them down and try to get them, remind them that this is the work and try to soften, you know, how they're feeling about this. And and the reality is no, that is the, the piece that I do not take responsibility for. I do not take responsibility 
for what anyone receives and internalizes in terms of what their work and their path looks like for them. Mm-hmm. I can't say that going on a Sati yoga trip is going to catapult you further on your anti-racism work than you would be had you not gone on the trip. But I'm also going to say that I'm going to hold people that I know have been given tools and resources and have been encouraged. And I myself have facilitated and helped them to understand how important it is to read the books, watch the documentaries, listen to the podcast, do all of the things. I'm going to hold you accountable. And I trust that if you're doing your work, not just with regards to anti-racism education, but also if you're doing the work on your mat, if you're coming to your breath, if you're taking care of yourself, then you are, I'm going to hold you accountable. And I'm going to remind you that this is the work. And if it's easy and if it's comfortable, it's not anti-racism work. Right. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm honestly not surprised to hear this because when you were talking about the people who come and how 50% of them actually have not really had any experience in anti-racism work, I'm just thinking like, wow, there is such a reality to the experience that D'Angelo has coined fragility, right? Mm. That it's just, it's really, really difficult work. So depending on where somebody is at in just their ability to say, you know what, I'm totally human and I am a product of my environment and I understand my environment has been steeped in white supremacy. You know, I feel like when you understand just our history and you understand, and I don't say just our history, like it's some light thing or some easily attained knowledge, but when you do begin to understand the history of our nation and the way that race was created in some of these basic concepts, I just, I can't fathom having pride, like, to be wounded in a sense, you know, because it's just like, and I'm not carrying shame. I'm not carrying guilt. Like, I don't know how I got where I got exactly. I can't, you know, lay it out for you. But I know that understanding that we're human beings. And we are part of a system that is broken and it was designed this way, right? And so like we're going to have these difficulties. I feel like that helps a lot to have that understanding. But for some reason, right, fill in the blanks there, there are a lot of people who just they're not there, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and they just can't take the critique or they can't take the pain or they, you know, and like, and that's this fragility that happens. And I think for a lot of the white people that I've worked with anyway, it is easier for them to acknowledge and accept some of the um, institutional and structural racism that we cover, but the Mm. social interaction and where the, where the social power and race prejudice piece comes in, it, it's harder for them to grasp, right? Because what they have Mm -hmm. to do is acknowledge, oh, if, if you're showing and identifying that this is a racist action behavior, I have to acknowledge that, oh, I'm, I've done that. And I've probably done that a lot. And I didn't mean to. And so to come face to face with, understanding this is what social power and the harm that you have been doing. This is what it looks like. And so now that it's being brought to your attention, you have to one, acknowledge you've done this before, but number two, you have to be able to identify it moving forward in your interactions with black people and people of color and be willing to do it differently. 
but also be willing to say if if a black person is telling you that you harmed them, you did. There's not right. any. There's not any. Um, you know, again, how how are you going to choose to respond between that stimuli and the response? Right? Where's the freedom? Are mm. you able to come to your breath and not respond? Right? And and have that that moment of, of clarity and, and just listen and offer, I, I, I'm sorry. And I hear you. I will do better. I will work on not doing that again. And I will commit to not doing that again or, or whatever it is they need to say. But I think that that personal, when it becomes personal and I'm saying, this is what you did white person to hurt me. And I'm a black person that you care about. Are you willing to no longer cause me harm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just thinking of all of the possible things that could go wrong in this situation, right? And there's so (laughs) much. And so I love hearing that you have people who are open and who are willing to dive into this. But the reality is I've been open. I've been willing to dive into this. And there are a lot of other white people similarly. And yet it's inevitable that you're going to hit walls and you're going to say things that are harmful. You're going to do things that are hurtful. You're going, you know, and you learn along that journey. Are you emotionally exhausted at the end of these? (laughs) Answer is yes. (laughs) I absolutely, without a doubt, am um, emotionally exhausted at the end of these. You know, I I think, again, just going back to, I just don't feel, I'm not smart enough to have put this together in the sense that I I believe that uh, my ancestors have prepared this for me to do in the sense that I have been given so much grace Mm -hmm. and I have been given so much, um, what I feel like is ancestral wisdom in every detail of this, including how to take care of myself through this process. So even as I structured the weekend, we arrive in Montgomery and the first time that we come together is on a is Friday night at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. And we spend time uh, together. We have a, basically an icebreaker. It's not really an icebreaker, but we can call it that just for the sake of, um, you know, making it make sense to people. We, we have our first meal together. We kind of talk a little bit about what brought us together. Um, because this is the first time the other participants are in the, the space together with each other. Right. So we get to know each other a very little bit. We do something called um, set our intentions. Right. So everybody basically writes down what it is that they want to take away from the trip. So when we arrive to the last day and we are about to get in our cars and go home, what do they want to have gained on this trip? Right. Mm -hmm. So they set their intentions and we talk first thing about self care uh, and and we, we start to dive into ways to do this work of having difficult, challenging, painful, uncomfortable conversations and taking care of ourselves. Because the expectation is, I'm not going to take care of you and no one around you is going to take care of you. And we're also not, you are going to, as you were explaining, you're going to mess it up. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to um, be called out. It's going to feel shitty. Mm -hmm. So you have to acknowledge and recognize that this is hard, but we still have to do it. So what is it going to be for you that is going to allow you to pick yourself back up and get back into the fight? Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, you know, we talk about vulnerability. So all of that to say, um, I go into, or I have created, then I'll I'll move into Saturday. Saturday, we come together for an optional asana practice. Asana is, um, Sanskrit for, um, the physical poses and physical postures. So when, when you go into a yoga studio to do a yoga class, you're going through asana practice, the physical, the physical movements, Mm -hmm. um, we spend some time preparing ourselves to spend the day at the memorial and the museum. That's what we do the rest of Saturday. Saturday night, we come back. We do a, a, a yin type of a practice, a, a gentle restorative um, healing type of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we do some journaling. And then we go to bed. By the way, both nights are done at 9 p.m. Wow. So we don't have just this, let's just you know, go into the wee hours of the morning talking about racism and, and, and these women asking me every question they've ever wanted to ask a black person, right? right? right. It is very structured. It's from six to nine on Friday night. And then it's from seven to nine 30 to nine on Saturday morning. Then we spend the day at the Memorial and the museum. Then we come back on Saturday night and it's again from six to nine. Um, then Sunday starts, um, again at seven with that optional, um, asana yoga practice. Um, and then we go have breakfast. Then we come back for the final time together, which is what I call the being anti-racist workshop where we spend, um, I want to say two and a half, three hours of deep diving what it looks like to be anti-racist. Right. Mm -hmm. And now we've got some practical steps Now we start talking about very specific conversations that we are having and ways that in our everyday life, we can start to chip away at, tear down, intercept, disrupt the racism when we encounter it. Um, So all of it is set up and designed for me to not be overwhelmed with being in this space. Um, as far as, I mean, some of the things that I do to take care of myself, well, I say all of that to say, and kind of explain the layout of the weekend is that there's not ever more than a three hour timeframe, um, three hours at a time when I'm in the space and holding space for everyone. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Cause that was going to be one of my questions. How do you care for yourself when you are consistently entering these spaces and facilitating this work? And so you've answered that. I have self-care built into every single day anyway, regardless of if I've got a trip coming up or not. But then I just get very mindful and really intentional about getting all of the other clutter and any outside distractions out of my, out of my life so that I can be fully present for, for the trip. And then when the trip is over, I absolutely experience a, a letting down, um, that I now, you know, come to understand where I leave the trip and I get back in my car or I start to travel back home. And I, I definitely want, I want to talk about it. And want to talk about what happened. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of high. It's this high and then I come down. So I'm, I'm mindful to be silent when I can and to kind of, I, I do know that I need to take some time to talk about it. And sometimes I'll talk and sometimes I'll write. I might call my wife and talk a little bit about it, but very within, by the time Sunday night comes, I shut it off and I'm not talking about it and I'm not thinking about it and I'm not processing it. And I kind of go back into rebuilding myself Mm -hmm. up. So 
that involves <laughs> sometimes mindless activities, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, watching TV. Um, now I might eat something that I wouldn't normally eat, some comfort food, right? So now it's just this kind of unloading mm -hmm. that, that I allow to, have to happen. But I, I just create some space between me and the trip that takes a couple of days before I'm ready to kind of start to interact with everybody again. I just, it, it takes some time before I'm pick, I'm not immediately calling everybody to talk about it. You know what I'm right. saying? I don't want to answer a bunch of questions about how was your trip? I'm just really mindful to um, kind of just be with myself and sit with the way that it went, um, not critique it too much. You know, of course, there are things that I learn and things that I take away from, you know, what went well, what could I have done differently? What do I need to be mindful of? How do I change something uh, for the next trip? That happens every single time. Okay. But I'm very careful to not overanalyze and I'm very careful to not, um, you know, go into perfectionist mode and beat myself up, uh, not, not to be too critical of myself, sure. just allowing myself to say, this is, you know, exactly what we did was what needed to happen. We did good work together. Um, the people who needed to be there were mm -hmm. there. Um, and, and also not me feeling like I'm responsible for whatever they took away from their trip. Because again, it, it's about what they were willing to to put into it, what they are, are willing to do in terms of coming to the table. And that's not what I'm responsible for. I, I provide the information. I facilitate and hold the space. Mm -hmm. um, and I provide them and send them off with a lot, a lot, a lot of resources, including so many of the anti-racism leaders that for them to follow many more books, many more um, influencers, many more organizations that they need to plug into and follow so they can continue to learn and, and just do this work every day, put some time into it every that day. That is amazing. I, I would love for you to tell people how to find you, where to go, what next year might look like. And if people are interested in joining these trips, just what could they expect in the future? Right now, I encourage people to email me to get onto my mailing list so that you can stay up to date with the different trips and events and workshops and webinars that I'll be offering. And email me at tina at satyayogatrips.com. And satya is spelled S-A-T-Y-A. I do expect that in the future, the name is going to change. Um, so that's why I'm saying for now, send me that email. That way I'll have your information. I'll be able to reach out to you and you'll be able to um, keep up with what changes. But what you can also do is follow me on Instagram, either on the Satya Yoga Trips page or over on my fitness profile, which is Group Fitness Life. And both of those places, I will keep updated with any changes as well as with the different things that I'll be offering. Um, the next Satya Yoga trip that I'm offering is October 11th through 13th. And there are, I believe, four spaces available still for that. Um, I do keep it small. It's very intimate. But um, if anyone's interested in that, they can email me and I'm happy to send over all of the information about how to register um, and then all of the um, pre-work that we kind of discussed a little bit um, and then just start to get you plugged into preparing for that trip. And then in terms of next year, I'm still working on that. That is in, we're kind of in construction about what that's going to look like as the work continues to grow mm -hmm. and evolve based on 
the responses that I've gotten and the participation that I'm getting. But I definitely see yoga being more of a a component, but not as forefront as it is now, as in, for example, in the name. So awesome. And then next year when you rebuild, you can come on again and tell us what you're up to at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jen. It's been great. 